Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, where each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of today's markets. Today is Wednesday, October 5th. December corn is unchanged, trading 6.83 even, and November soybeans are down 15 and a quarter cents, trading 13.68 and a quarter. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have Robert White, Vice President of Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Good morning and welcome to the show, Robert. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So as we think about the ethanol industry, certainly it's one that as producers, we get excited about because it has brought forward, you know, some renewed demand for our corn products. In terms of ethanol demand, Robert, where are we and what obstacles do you see moving forward as the adaptation and buzz around more widespread renewable fuels usage grows? Well, that's a good good place to start for sure. Ethanol demand is actually up quite a bit this year, uh, thanks in most part to the crisis in the Ukraine the limited supply of petroleum products globally, and then turn their high price. And so we've seen a lot of consumers looking for options at the pump. And what they've found is a growing availability of E15. That's 15% ethanol that can go in 2001 and newer vehicles. So about 98% of the cars on the road. So a, a good demographic there. And they saw prices this year uh, at a discount somewhere between a nickel all the way up to 60 cents in some markets. So if you're filling your tank uh, regularly, uh, especially if you have to commute to work or family vacation, E15 was a a golden opportunity for a lot of folks. And what that also helped with was education, because once they saw the price, they wanted to learn more. And we saw everything from website stats to questions within the fuel stations. All of that grew tremendously. And then you flip over to the other side with E85, about 10% of the motoring public has a flex fuel vehicle and E85 was at a heavy, strong discount too. And still holding today, we're seeing about a 30% discount to regular gasoline for E85. So again, um, I'll give you an example in California, the price of E85 is $3 less a gallon. And so if you're in California, you're going to stop and figure out what fuel is selling for $3 less a gallon or half price and see if your vehicle can use it. So it's been a great year for ethanol demand. The weekly uh, stats have shown that the blend rate is close to about 10.8%, which would be the highest we've ever had. So that's about 10.8% of our fuel uh, is ethanol. And so we are hoping for a strong end to the year and continued growth moving forward. That's awesome news. Certainly exciting as we look forward, we hope to see that continue. Do you see any tailwinds you know, any challenges that we could have from that continuing as we move forward? Well, sure. I mean, you can't turn on the television and find a commercial anymore from an automaker that doesn't include an electric vehicle or nothing but electric vehicles, right? So we do know that the electric vehicle push is going to continue. It's coming from all the way at 1600 Pennsylvania and Washington. So it's it's something that will continue. There are plenty of um, obstacles in their way as well. Uh, You know, you look to California where they are officially banning the internal combustion engine in roughly 12 years and three days later ask all of their consumers and constituents not to turn their air conditioning below 78 degrees. 
So there's a lot of issues that will come to a head over time. We realize that overall fuel demand, liquid fuel demand will come down, uh, both from EV concentration growth and also from fuel economy. We still continue to grow uh, in our fuel economy stats and requirements. So we know in, in time uh, there will be less liquid fuel demand. And that's why it's important for ethanol that we continue to increase the blend. And we have a great opportunity with E15. As I mentioned earlier, an E85 is still growing, both with stations and gallons each year. So we're, we're ultimately trying to balance that reduction in liquid fuel demand with a stronger blend rate. But at the same time, we have been blessed with a lot of opportunities and new uses outside of liquid transportation because of our low carbon pledge, which was done last summer by the Renewable Fuels Association and all of its producer members. We pledged to the White House that we would have a 70% reduction in carbon and greenhouse gas emissions compared to gasoline by 2030 and, a, and be net zero or net negative in carbon by 2050. And that got a lot of different companies to come out of the woodwork, everyone from diesel replacement with ethanol to renewable chemicals, renewable gasoline, uh, sustainable aviation fuel. There's just a lot of companies out there that know they have to reduce the carbon in their product. And either ethanol is a great ingredient or ultimate feedstock for those chemical processes. And so we're, we're excited about all that. And we think there's all the reason in the world that the ethanol industry will not only maintain, but can grow in the decades to come. That's wonderful to hear. And as we think about, you mentioned the government and its interaction with all renewable fuels and specifically ethanol. What legislative items are you and your team keeping an eye on? As we move into, you know, this year, obviously, is midterm elections. We could have a little bit of a change in sentiment, potentially, with some of the governing bodies. What, what are you guys keeping an eye on that could have an impact on not just ethanol, but uh, the entire renewable fuels industry? Yeah, I think this year, by the signs coming out of the House and the Senate, uh, we're pretty much down to a lame duck session for this year. Um, they've all went on their, you know, long vacations for the midterm prep and midterm elections. Uh, but what we think, uh, you know, it's always possible is those last minute lame duck things. So we have to have our ears to the ground and paying attention for any, you know, I guess mischievous actions by the petroleum industry, uh, which come up from time to time, but more so that our champions are paying attention uh, from across the Corn Belt and in general renewable fuel supporters. But the big one on the horizon is the set rule. And this is where the renewable fuel standard that was passed in 05 and expanded in 07, it kind of goes through a reset process and the EPA is in charge of that. And while we think EPA is in a very good place or definitely a better place than it's been most of the last decade, you know, there's a lot of influence coming from folks that would like to see less ethanol or no ethanol in some cases. And so we have to make sure they're in consultation with Department of Energy and USDA. And we're working with all of those agencies to make sure they have the best data available so that the science can prevail and we can not only maintain, but again, grow this industry and all of the other renewable fuels too. This is going to take all of our efforts and all of our input, um, but we know that ethanol is, is uh, a little ahead of many uh, with our existing low carbon and, and lower greenhouse gas emissions footprint. And we have a great logistical system already set up and we know how to make uh, ethanol. So. Uh, we're a lot of we're ahead of a lot of those other technologies, and we're excited about the future. But you can't uh, 
rest on your laurels in Washington, D.C. for a minute because there's always uh, always a lot going on and a, and a lot of things afoot. So uh, our D.C. team is is on it and we're uh, obviously prepared for the future. Wonderful. We're uh, we're thankful that uh, you folks are are up there fighting on our behalf on a daily basis and keeping an eye on things for sure. Let's change gears just a little bit. We talked about renewable fuels in general and that being sort of a broad term. And we think about the ethanol industry. It's been, uh, as you mentioned, kind of key and vibrant and a part of production agriculture and a part of the discussion around renewable fuels since really 05 when it, it got going. There's also this conversation that started around sustainable diesel fuel. As we think about those two specifically, do they compete with each other? Do they work together? They're obviously vying for the same grain production acreage. And so I'm just curious how you look at at that as a whole and as two separate sources of energy. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the the, the one thing on the diesel side is it's heavily concentrated on the veggie oils as, as its feedstock and, and necessity. And we've seen what the veggie oil market has done this past year. Now, granted, there's a lot of global complexities in that market for sure, but that's also why it gets a lot of attention and, and the price gets a lot of attention. So I think on the, you know, the biodiesel and the renewable diesel side of things, um, they have, you know, uh, there's definitely going to be a high growth pattern because we're seeing a lot of those announcements already made. We're seeing a lot of uh, advancement in renewable diesel being sent into the California market. And the, the good side of the equation is that the yields in the, in the acres, whether it's soy or another uh, veg oil feedstock, uh, compared to corn, the, the yield and trend line for those yields is continuing to grow. So we're expecting to get more from those acres. And for the most part, corn is, is capped under the renewable fuel standard and how much acres it can utilize for ethanol. So we're we're confident in the technology not only being used at the at the farm gate, but also uh, in the seed and up through the conversion process at the ethanol plants that we will be able to utilize, you know, something similar. Now, if some of these new uses come about and the electric vehicles and fuel economy standards haven't removed some of those acres from corn, then yes, there's opportunities for more competition. But again, I th- I think the two can live in live in harmony for sure. And then we have, as I mentioned earlier, a few companies that are working on utilizing diesel engines, but with a slight conversion, being able to use pure or pure ethanol or E85 in those diesel engines. So a lot of promise there with, you know, any fleet application of semi trucks or locomotives or maritime situations. And yes, we'll we work uh, semi closely with our friends on the diesel side of things, because at the end of the day, again, we have to work together. Um, in some fashion to make sure that the future is good for both of us and, and the other alternative fuels. As, as you've all have seen over the years, a lot of these pushes for uh, new technology has been around alternative fuels, not necessarily a ethanol incentive or a renewable diesel incentive. It's all encompassing because of the goal of lower carbon and, and lower greenhouse gas emissions. Certainly an exciting time uh, within production agriculture to know that the products that producers grow have growing interest in the energy space. And, and it's just a really exciting, exciting time. I I look forward to the future and so thankful for, 
you know, your team and your efforts to continue to, to push that agenda and let the story be known. As we think about all of this, we know we live in an ever-growing global marketplace. And ultimately, international forces and factors affect our markets. You brought it forward in the beginning of the conversation when you suggested that we're continuing to see you know, growing demand for ethanol when Russia invaded Ukraine and put pressure on some of these other energy sources that we have. And so as we think about kind of that international uh, marketplace as it you know, pertains to renewable fuels, how, what is the conversation around products like ethanol from sugar in Brazil and other trade considerations like how about China? Do they have any play in this sort of international renewable fuels conversation? Yeah, that's a good question. And and for the growers, producers on the, listening to the podcast, you know, there's very little more important than the exports because the exports has, has been really a release valve for the ethanol industry to make sure that we can continue to keep up our high rate of grinding corn. And it's not only been an export opportunity for ethanol, it's been an export opportunity for distillers grains. So really two of our main products are, are being exported in that. And this year in particular, we're kind of coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic funk where the kind of the whole world was had the brakes on. So we're, we're seeing maybe a record year in, in the in the books coming up uh, for ethanol exports and distillers grains exports are high too. And you kind of look around the, the global space. You mentioned Brazil. Uh, ironically, we always get compared to Brazil in their sugarcane process, uh, but most of the ethanol production that's been put online in the last five years has been corn ethanol in Brazil. Uh, they obviously grow a lot of corn too, so they have that ability to uh, grow and produce from both feedstocks. Their output has always been uh, kind of up and down based on the sugar market and, and opportunities there. And we still are exporting a, a fair amount of ethanol into Brazil and the ships aren't flowing quite as well as they used to back the other direction. So Brazil is an important market for us. We're still fighting some trade barriers there that they have put up over the years. And then you kind of move around the world, Canada being a, a number one market for us. It's very easy to access. We're hoping that Mexico will come around to, to their senses as well and start using more ethanol. They still use a lot of MTBE, which we pretty much banned in the United States because it would contaminate underground water sources. But in Mexico, the, the, their federal government is part of the ownership of that production. So it's a tough nut to crack down there for sure. And then you kind of move around the world and India is a huge growing market. They actually have uh, their aspirational goal in a very short time is to move to an E20 or a 20% ethanol blend across the country. As you can imagine, that's a lot of ethanol and they cannot produce it all. And so we're hoping to backfill that. Um, a lot of promise um, in China, um, but as China, just like any other commodity they import from us, they, uh, they are a light switch and they come in and out of the market at will. Uh, they did have a 10% mandate on the books for ethanol uh, for several years, and we were expecting a huge opportunity there. Uh, when they realized they couldn't even fill half of it, uh, they kind of put it on ice and then the pandemic hit. So we're hopeful that gets back on track. But nonetheless, a lot of the world is focusing on opportunities to lower their carbon, lower their greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, they still need the high octane. So what's our least cost uh, option? And it's ethanol and it's US-based corn ethanol. So we're excited about, again, the export opportunities. Uh, we still have some idle production in the ethanol industry. So we'd like to ramp that all up, grind more corn and utilize more here in the United States, but also help our, our friends and allies around the world. 
U.S. grain growers are obviously a big part of making all this work. That's where the whole thing starts. How does the Renewable Fuel Association interact with the U.S. grain grower? And how do grain producers factor into RFA's goals for renewable fuel usage? Well, and that's that's always fun to think about. You know, um, myself and our CEO, Jeff Cooper, both came from the corn growers world. Uh, so we were very close to that, to them. Uh, my father was a state exec for Kansas corn for almost 30 years. So we, we know all the producer groups. We interact with them probably every other day at some level, whether it's on the policy or the market development side. And you know, our, our headquarters are about four miles apart in, in St. Louis. So uh, we do maintain that very strong relationship and interaction. And then you look to the ethanol industry itself. Who built the ethanol industry? And it's the corn growers. You look at their investors, you look at their boards of directors. They're all, for the most part, local, you know, Main Street businessmen and women, or they are corn growers, farmers, producers. And so that connection is never going to subside. And the importance of, of the connection with the growers is important. Uh, we do a lot of interaction at Commodity Classic. We just wrapped up Farm Progress show in Iowa uh, last month. And it was fun because those are the shows where, you know, the tomatoes are not going to come out and, and be thrown at you. It's going to be a good conversation and you're going to have, you know, some rewarding uh, stories come about about what ethanol did for them, their local communities. I, for example, uh, grew up in a town of 3,200 in Kansas. We have an ethanol plant now, uh, have for about 15 years, and it's the biggest thing that hit that community since the railroad. And so these stories just uh, replicate themselves as we move across the country where ethanol production is, is found. And there's no one, no better ally, no better partner of the Renewable Fuels Association or ethanol industry in general than the U.S. corn grower. Such a wonderful story that the Renewable Fuels Association has to, to help the U.S. grain grower tell here and the partnership that's been formed over the last number of years. Uh, I can't think of a more exciting time for production agriculture as we look forward to the future and and all the things that are coming at us that have a great impact on really the livelihoods of the communities that we live in to you know just as you suggested and as we have an opportunity to impact the climate initiatives that are being pushed forward at both a national and an international level Again, I thank you so much, Robert, for your time this morning. We certainly enjoyed our conversation. And thank you again for all the work that you and your team are doing out here on the front lines, continuing to, to tell this great story around renewable fuels and, and uh, fight on the front lines for us. Thank you, Britt, for the opportunity to be here. And if your listeners have any questions or want to learn more about ethanol or the RFA, please go to ethanolrfa.org.